Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 17th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take ourselves about as seriously as we do my candidacy for the currently open director of the FBI job. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm back after an unannounced hiatus last week. I am sorry for leaving everyone hanging. Uh, I was hoping to get in some... Uh, time in Salt Lake City to record, but uh, should have known that my schedule wasn't going to allow for things like writing or reading or recording, so I just hauled a bunch of audio gear around Utah for no good reason. Um, But Utah was great. Um, Salt Lake City is a very beautiful city. Kind of strange, because the whole uh, uh, Mormon culture really permeates the rest of the city, and it kind of feels like a, a bit of a Disney downtown area where it's suspiciously clean. I think the dirtiest thing I saw there was a Carl's Jr. green burrito, uh, which is a a lot like a Hardee's red burrito if you're from the part of Midwest where we have that. I'm not sure where the split is. I think it's in the Rockies somewhere. Anyway, Salt Lake City is a beautiful city. Uh, I climbed up uh, Ensign Peak and had a look over the city, but man, their car scene is really fantastic. So it's about a 13-minute drive from the airport right to the city center. And apparently there's hardly any traffic. But on the drive from the airport to our hotel, um, we we passed not one but two auto shops with a bunch of custom tuner cars sitting out front. And I don't think I've ever seen that many customized Subarus outside of a Subaru meetup group that I used to be part of here in St. Louis. And it, it... I was just blown away by the number of really cool custom uh, Hondas, Subarus, Mitsubishis, and uh, uh, Scions that I saw there. So, uh, I mean, Salt Lake City, you got your custom car scene on point. I also saw a BMW i8 sitting outside my hotel. Um, I saw a Fisker Karma, which I'll touch on a little bit later. Uh, but Salt Lake City uh, really had it going on for cars, so I was not disappointed there, despite not doing a whole lot of driving. Um, But we have not one, but two weeks of the latest car news to catch you up on, so let's go ahead and get started with the news. First up this week, the final sales figures from April are in, and there's some good news if you're the type of person who doesn't enjoy surprises. Uh, That is, of course, that sales were down again and that there's no end in sight, uh, despite growing incentives. Uh, This is the longest losing streak since 2009, and uh, while it's not to say that we're in another recession, we certainly seem to have reached peak car, as some analysts are calling it. Um, Mid-sized cars, uh, again, suffered double-digit declines in April, and uh, almost all across the board. Uh, They've even started dragging down some other sedans, like the Civic and Corolla, which also saw declines from the same period last year. Um, We may start to see some kind of turnaround as some new cars come out. I know Toyota is hoping that the new Camry will start to spur sales, and that's that's going on sale in the next couple months. Uh, The new Hyundai Sonata has uh, debuted to some reviews. Uh, And uh, the Chevy Malibu, though, which is the newest midsize sedan, having gone on sale uh, last year, is selling 
almost 7,000 fewer cars per month than it did last April. And that is not good news, especially when midsize sedans are really the, the all the car we actually need. Um, but, you know, buyers are welcome to go ahead and keep buying your ridiculous HRVs, which, uh, by the way, were up 22% last month over the year prior. Um, there are always a few ex- a few exceptions to the rule, and in April, Audi uh, continued its hot streak uh, with sales rising for the se- 76th consecutive month, which is just plum loco. Uh, its parent brand, Volkswagen, also did really well, uh, selling some previously unsold 2015 turbo diesels with the dirty cheating devices fixed. Also, sales of the Golf Sport Wagon tripled over April of 2016, thus verifying the continued wagon renaissance, uh, which we will also touch on a little bit later. Uh, this could spell trouble, um, not the Volkswagen, but uh, sales being down for the American labor force, uh, since as sales continue to fall, inventories of vehicles continue to rise. Some manufacturers have been quicker to react, switching around production to in-demand vehicles, but some plants that are geared for, let's say, mid-sized cars may have to be idled uh, during the summer to account for the reduced demand. It's too early to tell that if that's definitely going to be the case, but analysts are apparently not too optimistic about jobs sticking around this summer. And of course, uh, some of those idols will be temporary. Some of them could be permanent if they don't see any uh, turnaround on the horizon. And the current vehicle market isn't just hurting manufacturers and dealers. It's also hurting uh, rental companies like Hertz, whose fleet is made up of mostly mid-sized sedans. Apparently, they are trying to sell off those sedans to get more SUVs, which people are paying more, willing to pay more to rent. But the tanking used car market for sedans is not doing them any favors. Uh, the last thing we need, though, is less choice in the rental market. So I really am pulling for Hertz here, and they have a strong track record of uh, offering performance cars for rental, too. So we definitely want to see that continue. One bright spot this month is that performance variants of otherwise poor-selling cars are actually doing really well. The the Ford Focus ST and RS, as well as the Fusion Sport, were all big winners while their underpowered siblings uh, sort of languished on dealer lots, Uh, which, I mean, the obvious answer here is just build more sports cars, people. Come on. So... If you've ever wondered what uh, Scrooge McDuck's pool of gold coins looks like, chances are you're going to find it somewhere in Italy, probably right around Maranello, where Ferrari's headquarters resides. Uh, In the first quarter of this year, Ferrari made almost twice as much in net income as it did in 2016, selling just about every car in their lineup as fast as they can produce them. Their big motor cars are still their most popular, but even the, quote, less desirable V8s and Californias are also selling like crazy. Sales of engines to Fiat Chrysler sister brand Maserati have also been good, uh, because apparently not just the filthy rich, but the moderately rich are also buying cars uh, hand over fist. 
Ferrari has been shaking things up and has announced plans to sell performance hybrid vehicles, much like every performance manufacturer has. And uh, they're even looking at selling cars with a V6 to appeal to a broader audience. Um, by broader, of course, they mean less rich, even though the very rich have still been stumping for the prancing horse in record numbers. Uh, can you honestly imagine, though, a, a, a V6 Ferrari in, uh, like in modern times? I, I just I don't think an alternate reality should exist wherein a famous Italian sports car marquee has a car with the same number of cylinders as a Nissan Maxima when produced at the same time. That just there's, there's something like fundamentally wrong about that to me. Um, there was uh, just a, a metric ton of Tesla news this week, so I'll, I'll try to, to run you through it somewhat quickly. Um, so remember how Tesla was going to be churning out 500,000 Model 3s by next year? Turns out that that may have been a little aggressive and that they may not be able to make their goals. Tesla founder Elon Musk uh, said on an earnings call, uh, we continue to be surprised by how sort of frankly naive a lot of people are about production and supply chain. It's as though there is some like easy way to increase production. It's truly not, end quote. Uh, he says this, I guess, in a way that sort of sounds like he's taking a dump on the media or on analysts or whomever is throwing these numbers around, but that's let's not forget where we got all of these numbers. And that's from Elon Musk himself. So when he talks about being naive, maybe he needs to talk about being a little self-reflective as well. Uh, Tesla's valuation on the stock market right now is ridiculous, and perhaps not meeting these wildly ambitious production goals will bring it back down to earth a little bit. Musk still says that the Model 3 production will begin this year and that they'll be making 5,000 vehicles per week, ramping up to about 10,000 vehicles per week by next year, which is no small feat. And I certainly applaud their efforts and their products, just maybe not their initial projections. Um, also on an earnings call this week, Musk mentioned that there has been some customer confusion about the Model 3 with some buyers thinking that this is actually the third version of the Model S, making the Model 3 newer and better all around, despite starting at about 40000 fewer dollars. Um, this would make Tesla, like tacos, the only thing that is better when it's cheaper. Sadly, that is not the case, and Tesla definitely has some marketing to do to clarify this to the confused consumers. Uh, in other Tesla news, you may recall I reported a while back on a backlog of repairs needed for Model S vehicles and how some owners were waiting months to get their cars back because they simply weren't uh, enough Tesla-approved third-party repair facilities for both in-warranty and out-of-warranty work. Well, good news, Elon has announced that Tesla will be begin opening their own repair facilities for their cars this year. He said that uh, about 80% of the work on vehicles, uh, on uh, repairs, can actually be done remotely, and that they're going to employ about 100 trucks that will drive around repairing vehicles, I guess, in, in owners' driveways. 
and it isn't clear how many actual physical repair buildings they plan on opening. But this can only be good news for owners as, mos uh, as Model 3s start to roll out. Um, and less good news, if you're an American engineer, uh, Tesla has been recruiting engineers from Mexico to work in its factory in Fremont, California. You may recall that Tesla has had some union issues in its workforce due to a variety of reasons. It appears as if Musk is sending a message to his workers saying that, hey, this is going to happen with or without you, and that he has no problem finding scabs in Mexico. Um, he claims that there is authentically a dearth of skilled workers in the field, and that he's had to expand his search just to find the right people to get the job done. But I can't imagine that this is going to go down too well um, with his American workers. Uh, finally, in more Tesla news, Elon Musk was at a TED conference in Vancouver this week and just casually mentioned that he expected that his company would likely announce the locations of between two and four new gigafactories later this year in order to meet global demand. This seems to be a habit of his, just talking candidly and making grand predictions. Now, it's not unreasonable because the world will legitimately need more production to supply a global demand of EV batteries, and he is mentioning only the locations. But still, uh, realtors, get your business cards ready. Tesla's competitor, Faraday Future, released a video this week, the audio from which is playing in the background here. I'm not worried about being drowned out because there are no words in the video, just flashy images of waves and traffic, and also the FF91 driving around what looks like California. The video is a minute and eight seconds long, and it feels like at least twice that because it says absolutely nothing about the car or the company, and honestly, the more I see the car in the video, the uglier it looks. So I'm not sure if it's doing the company any good. It's not like we'll probably ever see a production car from them anyway. The least they could try to do is entertain us, and not just with jump cuts and flashing lights and images of waves and... and and traffic it, it's just it's not a good video don't don't go watch it you basically already have so despite the fact that buyers are increasingly purchasing crossovers and trucks they are apparently not buying enough really massive trucks and ford has announced a four-month layoff of 130 workers from a plant in ohio where f650 and f750s are produced uh, the plant employs about 1,600 people, so this is a pretty small amount of their workforce, but it's kind of important for political purposes. Uh, Ford actually moved production of these large trucks to Ohio from Mexico in 2015 as a part of agreement with the United Auto Workers, which was made in 2011. Uh, failure to maintain this plant or these jobs... Uh, and there could be some issues with both the UAW and with our current president who singled out Ford for sending jobs to Mexico when he was on the campaign trail, uh, regardless of whether or not that was actually true. Uh, Ford, however, does expect production to pick back up in September, so this may be something to keep an eye on. 
just to see uh, you know how it shakes out. Uh, General Motors uh, has this car sharing brand called Maven, which is now expanding with something called Gig, which allows Maven users to rent an all-electric Chevy Bolt for $229 a week uh, to be used for ride ha- for for hauling or ride hailing services like Uber or Lyft. Um, the cost includes all maintenance, all insurance, and free charging at EVgo stations. Um, and the general aim is to make it easier for folks to get into the ride-sharing business, even if they don't own their car. There are apparently also partnerships with Grubhub, Instacart, and Roadie, uh, whatever the latter two are, um, if the renter is interested in branching out further beyond ride-sharing to delivery services. Um, while there's no question that this so-called gig economy is on the rise, I'm sure some people better with numbers than I am, have done the math, I'm, I'm honestly not sure how well the economics work out for those actually doing the gigs. So <laughs> I got on my calculator and I did some work uh, based on an Uber ride I had last week from the Hilton and Salt Lake to the airport. Uh, now that ride was around $13 and went 7.7 miles. The Chevy Bolt can make that trip a maximum of 30 times before it needs to recharge. Assuming Uber takes 15% cuts of all their rides, that leaves the driver with a little over 11 bucks. This means that it would take the driver 21 trips to or from the airport to make up the cost of just renting the car for that week. So assuming no traffic, that trip takes 13 minutes. Like I said, it's a small place. Traffic was great. So, to break even for the car rental, that means with no brakes, no stoppages, no passenger loading or unloading times, that driver would have to work four and a half hours without pay just to get their car for the week. Obviously, this isn't real because there is time spent loading and unloading and then finding fares and then driving to pick them up or waiting in uh, cell phone lots, as well as charging the car, which isn't quick. So you could be talking about maybe an entire day of the week just spent making up the cost of the car that you use to make money the rest of the six days. It seems like kind of a raw deal to me, especially because the monthly payment on my Mazda is less than that, and it's a more usable car. But hey, people will probably still do it, and good luck to them. So, I think every mom has said at some point, it's not you, it's all the other drivers on the road I'm afraid of. Uh, The easy response recently to this has been that cars are so safe nowadays that moms should rest easy that their babies are likely to make it out alive from most wrecks, provided, of course, their babies are wearing their seatbelts. All new technology, all the new technology that keeps us safer has also been affecting performance, uh, making cars heavier and more complicated to work on, but it's had another side effect in the insurance world. Um, All of those sensors and safety structures that are meant to keep us alive and in our lanes or from turning into someone are not cheap, and when those other crazy drivers on the road plow into us, uh, it means that it's costing insurance companies a whole lot more to to repair Um, According to Bob Shippert, uh, vice president of an underwriting company called Risk Theory, uh, which, side note, uh, 
Also sounds like a really good band name, Risk Theory. I'd go see him. Uh, a front-end collision that damaged the engine uh, might have been fixed up and repaired previously, uh, but with the number of airbags that go off in vehicles now, that same repair jumps by between one and 4000 bucks, depending on the car. When you're talking about slightly older cars with more miles on them, repairs start to exceed the value of the car, and insurers have been totaling out vehicles faster and faster, especially if they're equipped with the dangerous Takata airbags. So this means a healthy profit for junkyards, but also means that your next fender bender could be your last, at least in whatever you're driving now. So just try to drive safe out there, even if you really, really hate your car. The last couple weeks have been big for autonomous car news. Uh, so I'll kick off with the news that New York State has announced uh, yesterday, actually, that it will begin allowing testing of autonomous vehicles on its roads. Historically, it's been tougher for Uber, Volvo, and Tesla and the others to fully test their autonomous tech due to various restrictions placed on them by state and local governments. Uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said that the cars would be allowed to start testing in an effort to enhance safety and reduce accidents. Companies in New York must have, uh, of course, there are restrictions, and they must have a $5 million insurance policy, submit reports to the state, be overseen by the state police, and then pay the state police for supervising them. Uh, Testing can also not take place in school or construction zones, which makes a lot of sense, but also really limits real-world testing opportunities because, let's face it, construction zones are bloody everywhere, especially in the summer. Um, and this, this actually comes following a report from the National League of Cities, whatever that is, um, that criticized cities for not getting on board with autonomous tech and allowing more open testing. Uh, Nicole Dupuy Uh, principal associate for urban innovation for the NLC and co-author of their report said that the development of vehicles uh, is happening faster than anyone in government anticipated and that cities risk falling behind and being the limiting factor in autonomous vehicle adoption. Now, Nicole isn't wrong, and it's going to take buy-in from all sides to make autonomous vehicles happen on a large scale. So hopefully New York's joining will help spur other states and other cities into action. Uh, Jalopnik actually had a uh, couple of, they always have interesting posts, but they had a couple of interesting autonomous car posts this week, uh, one featuring all 263 companies that are currently involved in some facet of autonomous vehicle development. They range from the familiar companies like Waymo, Zipcar, and Lyft, to obscure component makers like Iproc, Evos, and DeepScale. Um, They also featured a video from BMW that perfectly explains the five stages of autonomous vehicles as outlined by the Society of Automotive Engineers. Both are very cool and totally worth your time to check out just to see the depth of the industry and exactly what those companies are developing and then how they all integrate into a finished product. Finally, a professor at Cornell released the results of a study he performed that indicated car buyers were willing to splash an additional $5,000 onto the price of cars in order to obtain autonomous tech 
giving manufacturers a sort of target for the additional costs they can tack onto cars and still sell them. Granted, opinions about the technology varied widely, and the five grand figure is just an average for some very disparate opinions, but it seems pretty reasonable to me. Um, I think that's that's a decent amount of price to add for the uh, the value of convenience that is provided. Regular listeners will know that my full-time job is in marketing, and that as an automotive enthusiast, of course, I keep tabs on automotive marketing, despite however boring that may sound to all of you. Uh, there has actually been some recent news about automotive marketing that I thought everyone appre- would appreciate hearing about. Uh, the first of which involves Toyota, whose traditional message has been QDR, uh, which stands for Quality, Dependability, and Reliability. Uh, That's actually the first time I've heard that acronym as well. Uh, At this point, we're probably all familiar with Jan, the front front counter service rep whose uh, uh, precocious banter with showroom shoppers has been fodder for Toyota ads for about four years now. Um, But that appears set to change. Uh, I'm not sure if they're getting rid of Jan or going to spice her up. Um, But uh, according to an interview in the Automotive News, Ed Laux, Toyota's head of marketing, said that the brand's new aggressive styling is warranting a refreshed approach to their messaging. And he's looking for Toyota's marketers to, quote, cut loose as they seek to attract millennial buyers. So what exactly is cutting loose to Toyota marketers? Uh, Here are are my guesses. Uh, uh, You've got an ad. It's showing CHR owners hiking up a trail, but they're not using walking sticks. That'll really get those active lifestyle buyers in the showrooms. Uh, So another one, maybe showing a new Camry buyer. Um, He's pulling into a parking spot, and then he's, running out from his parked car to a chic downtown restaurant, but he's going without an umbrella and it's in the rain. What a maniac young professional he is. Uh, let's see another one. Uh, maybe some uh, downhill mountain bikers. Uh, they're, they're easing their bikes to a stop uh, at the end of the trail next to their hip, cool RAV4, and they're leaning the bikes up against a tree. No kickstands! That, Toyota, is pure insanity. Let's see if you can cope with that or, or you know, cut loose in some other way. I don't know. Uh, in less funny advertising news, if you found that funny, uh, those excruciatingly painful and obnoxiously frequent real people, not actors, ads from GM will be sticking around for the foreseeable future. Uh, despite being the second worst automotive ads on TV, in my opinion, um, second, of course, to the that's not a Buick ads, Uh, The GM ads are apparently highly rated with Nielsen. Uh, They rate highly on memorability, branding, and likability. I'm not sure who they polled to determine likability. I probably won't be able to find them and punch them in the face, though. Uh, The campaign has been going for more than two years now, though it seems like more than two decades, and GM's advertising director sees no reason to stop especially since they just got an award, also from the bastards at Nielsen, for their unbranded campaign in which GM apparently found the dumbest people on the planet, stuck them inside of Malibu without badges, and waited until they said super inane things like, it feels like a BMW, before unlocking the doors and finally letting them out. 
the suffering continues, uh, but hopefully so will the mockery. Um, look up some of the parody ads, or as I'm looking it up now, uh, just Google real people, not actors ads, and the parodies actually come up first in Google searches, which, uh, GM, that is great brand penetration. Good job, guys. Uh, now, uh, since there's so much to cover and some limited time, we're going to jump into some quick hits. So those deep subprime loans I talked about, where lenders are giving money to people with credit scores lower than 550, yeah, that's starting to cause a real problem with defaults surging this year. This year, loan fraud could reach as much as $6 billion, which would be double the rate from 2015. Last time we saw fraud on the scale was 2008, and, well, you know what happened then. Uh, there's no way this can end poorly. Keep making it rain, lenders. Uh, Colorado became just the second state to outlaw rolling coal, which for the uninitiated is the practice of running your diesel truck ridiculously rich in fuel mixture, allowing you to blast out a sooty cloud of disgusting black smoke in order to properly express how you feel about the environment and the necessity of its preservation. Amazingly, it took Colorado three tries to outlaw it in a way that legislatures thought wouldn't adversely impact the trucking industry, but thank God they did. The only man-made clouds of smoke in Colorado from now on should occur organically around 4.20 p.m. every day. Uh, if you've always wanted to say, Red 5 standing by, and seem ultra-authentic while being actually safe, motorcycle helmet manufacturer HJC has you covered with its new Luke Skywalker X-Wing helmet. It's a three-quarter helmet with a yellow eye shield that slides down out of the lid, just like the real thing Luke wore when he shot down the first Death Star. Even cooler, Mark Hamill is going to sign ten of these, which will be sold with all the proceeds going to UNICEF and Starlight Children's Foundation on behalf of Star Wars A Force for Change. So may the Force and Department of Transportation Safety be with you. Are you a fan of the Hummer H1, and have you been dying to get your own ever since GM ceased production in 2006? Great news! Oh wait, you live in the U.S.? Not so great news then. How do you feel about France? Uh, General Motors legend Bob Lutz and a small cadre of other H1 enthusiasts have resurrected the Hummer name and its road-going military vehicle knockoff for the niche market of buyers who want a truck that can go anywhere. Anywhere, of course, except America, where it doesn't qualify for USA's Low-Volume Vehicle Manufacturers Act, so in order to buy one of the most quintessentially American vehicles, perhaps try China? Uber CEO Travis Kalanick posted a photo on Twitter this past week granting his followers a look at a big white 18-wheeler with the words Uber Freight on the side. This appears to be the product of Uber's purchase of Auto, an autonomous long-haul shipping startup which was started up by former Google employee who has been accused of stealing only about 14,000 tech designs from the company before quitting. Needless to say, Google isn't super happy about it, and a long legal battle has started. Of course, Uber is no stranger to legal battles. So, when you schedule your next ride, just be sure not to select an Uber XXXXL. Kia's Nero, which has been on sale for roughly three months, is positively on fire, though not in the traditional Italian sense of on fire. It's a hybrid which aren't too popular in the age of cheap gas, but it is a crossover which has been enough to see it destroy its nearest competition. Prius V? Garbage. Ford C-Max? A cockroach underfoot. 
the Nero outsold both of those combined by more than 540 vehicle margin. It also outsold its more expensive Hyundai Ioniq Twin, as well as the more than tripling the aging Nissan Leafs sale. With gas prices expected to hike this year, the Nero will probably only become more popular, which is great because I think it's finally a car that my Mazda is capable of overtaking on the freeway. Gone are the days of walking into a dealership just to see what they have on hand and to drive a few cars and to see what you like, apparently. Dealer inventories, like my productivity, is being killed by the internet, where 90% of buyers start the process researching vehicles, looking at dealer inventories, and reading reviews. This means buyers are coming into dealerships more educated and less naive, but also with more purpose, and it has dealers wondering why the hell they're keeping so many hundreds of cars on lots that are just becoming increasingly expensive. Some dealers have begun keeping their cars off-site at less, less expensive storage yards or even closing less profitable locations. So the next time you go to a dealer, they may not have the car you want, but they know a guy who can drive to Kansas and get it for you. Ford has registered the energy name for its Kuga and Explorer SUVs and the transit van, obviously signaling their intention to produce electrified versions of all those vehicles. It's not clear if they're going to be range-extended plug-in hybrid vehicles like the Fusion and C-Max Energies or all-electric, but it's smart to get on the EV bandwagon now. Ford has previously announced a hybrid F-150 and Mustang, but we haven't heard much about those yet. Maybe we'll even see a F-350 Energy so all the trust fund guys can turn them into bro-dozers, but, you know, responsibly. Let's look now at some new cars. Just today, BMW tweeted out the silhouette of the forthcoming 8 Series Coupe. It doesn't reveal much, but the shape is pretty reminiscent of the current i8, which, like I said, I saw live in Salt Lake City, and it is a beautiful-looking car. The old 8 Series has a very niche, uh, cult-like following, and it's been a very long time, 18 years, in fact, uh, since BMW produced the long four-seat two-door Grand Tourer. Uh, the old model is very rare to find these days, and given the probability that the next one will compete with the Bentley Continental GT, we might see it just as rarely. Uh, we'll have to wait, wait to pass judgment on the car until actual images come out, but this is one a lot of people, myself included, are looking out for. Uh, some of you may know the name Fisker from the range-extended hybrid vehicle called the Karma that was produced in 2011 and 2012. It was a good-looking car, but the performance was underwhelming, and they'd occasionally come over all Italian and catch fire, despite not at all being Italian. Uh, I actually saw a Karma in Salt Lake City, which must make it <laughs> Salt Lake City just the home of the most obscure cars. Um, anyway, Fisker has announced the E-Motion, which is a new electric car that utilizes, quote, game-changing batteries, according to Fisker. Um, it claims a 400-mile range and aggressive performance. It's also very uniquely designed, with the cabin pushed really far forwards towards the front of the car, giving it sort of a Lamborghini Diablo with a giant bubble in the middle look to it. I, and I kind of like it. Um, check out some of the pictures they have on autocar.com and let me know what you think. Um, but hopefully Fister, Fisker actually gets their act together this time and makes a real go of it. Uh, last time, the design of the car was so good, but the performance was so bad that people would buy the Karma Hybrid 
pull the hybrid motor out of it and stick a Ford V8 in it. Uh, and that was an awesome car, <laughs> but not exactly what Fisker intended. Um, good news for bikers and electric vehicle fans. Uh, KTM, the Austrian motorcycle manufacturer, has been spotted testing a, a road-going bike that will hopefully see production sometime soon. KTM already produces a number of electric off-road bikes, but so far hasn't debuted anything for the street just yet. Uh, the new bike spied by photographers is based on the Duke 390, uh, which is sort of a Street Fighter-style sport bike, uh, where the gas tank and internal combustion engine has been replaced with a battery and electric motor, which are have been integrated into the frame. Uh, we have no details on the range or the power or pricing or availability. Uh, basically, we just got some spy shots. Um, but apparently the cost of the lithium-ion batteries hasn't come down enough for KTM to believe that they can sell the E-Duke, which I hope is what they call it. Uh, Duke E sounds uh, a bit too fecal, honestly. Um, while it's not really a new car, Acura is taking a long look at the 22% sales growth of the Honda HRV compact crossover, then looking back at the double-digit sales declines of all Acura models, then looking back at the HRV more longingly and repeating that process a couple of times, then it thinks, hey, we have one of those, and indeed they do, the Acura CDX, which is a fancy little crossover they sell only in China. Uh, continuing their rich tradition of realizing everything late, Honda is now considering bringing that vehicle stateside to compete with the Audi Q3 and the Lexus NX, which are selling like hotcakes at a lumberjack festival. Or, you know, Acura could just bring back the TSX sport wagon and take part in the wagon renaissance. Just saying. Car and Driver had a neat write-up on Bollinger Motors, uh, which started in 2014 out of a renovated car repair shop. Um, far from doing car repairs, though, Bollinger is developing an all-electric off-road focused SUV as their first vehicle. Uh, they'd like you to think of it as a gas-free Wrangler or FJ Cruiser, which I can certainly get behind. Uh, they have calculated approach angles and departure angles as well as suspension architecture and other terms that really only off-road enthusiasts will understand, but it sounds like they've really done their homework. And they've also set an ambitious schedule for themselves, um, which I guess is just a theme in electric vehicle companies, of delivering their first vehicles in 2019. Uh, they're hoping the product will be attractive to both off-roaders and government agencies with uh, clean fleet initiatives. So go read Car and Driver's article for more information if you're interested. This seems like a really, really neat company and a really neat car. So hopefully we'll see a production-ready version of this later on this year. Um, if you played any of the Need for Speed games growing up, you're probably familiar with the small British manufacturer TVR, who made the insane Cerbera and Speed 12, among other cars that just looked killer, made great power and an even greater sound, and were about as reliable as sunny weather in London. Uh, though the company was resurrected in 2013, we have yet to see a new car from them, but they have just registered the Griffith name for an upcoming front-engine rear-wheel drive car 
which will use a Cosworth-tuned Ford Coyote V8 motor. Um, the Coyote motor is the all-aluminum block that they use in the Mustang. They've apparently already collected 400 pre-orders for a car that nobody has seen, but hopefully the name registration means that we're going to be getting a sneak peek sometime soon. Uh, Mercedes-Benz's microcar company, Smart, has announced a new car for the UK market called the Pure. It's now the least expensive, most bare-bones smart car you can buy and rings up at just less than 10,000 pounds, which if you think about it is a decent price for a car, but don't think about it too much because then you'll realize you can buy a better, more capable, more fuel-efficient car for far less than 10,000 pounds. Um, occasional Always Drive podcast co-host Mike Lavazetta sent me a link to information about the Workhorse W15, which Workhorse, the manufacturer, says is the first plug-in, range-extended, electric pickup built from the ground up by an OEM, which is a lot of qualification. Um, the lithium-ion battery uh, cells from Panasonic give it an 80-mile all-electric range, and the onboard generator works to recharge once the range is depleted. Um, while an 80-mile charge or range may not seem like much, my wife's Fusion Energy, which is also a range-extended hybrid plug-in, only has 28 miles of EV range under perfect conditions. Plus, it's not a pickup, which alone makes the W15 an interesting entrant into a competitive pickup field. Uh, the interior looks really cool too, so if you get a chance, uh, give it a give it a look. Uh, Mike said he found it on Uncrate, which is chock full of really cool stuff and occasionally does some car coverage. Uh, this has apparently been designed for fleets, so I'm not sure if consumers are even going to get a shot at buying it, but I'll keep an eye out for some new developments and see if we can't get some more information on it moving forward. Continuing the American wagon renaissance, Jaguar has announced that the forthcoming XF Sport Brake, which were, was never going to happen, if you asked Ian Callum, the car's designer, is not only happening, it's coming to the States, and it's going to be glorious and sound glorious, and you all have to go buy one so that I can buy it from you in three years. Uh, please, uh, it will take on the also very sexy Volvo V90 and uh, what's likely going to be my parents' next car, the Mercedes E-Class wagon. Uh, finally, in new car news, uh, a car that whenever a new model is announced, the same joke is made, that one just looks like the old one. I'm of course talking about the Porsche 911, which had the one millionth 911 model roll off the assembly line this week. And it's a really cool stat for a really timeless car that doesn't ever drastically get redesigned because it honestly doesn't need it. The 1,000 production number actually includes about 30,000 four-cylinder 912 models as well as uh, 329 959s and all the 934 and 935 racing models. So it's not quite the millionth 911, but the millionth model from which various derivations were made. But take nothing away from the fact that it's very impressive that Porsche has kept this fast beetle around. Uh, long live the 911. Um, we are running really long this week uh, because I missed out on last week. Um, I've started uh, working on a, a deep dive for next week. I'm going to talk about 
what exactly is going on with Mazda? Um, this was inspired by what exactly is going on with my Mazda, which is, uh, I, I think, some brake chatter uh, from a, a loose brake pad or maybe a worn bushing in my suspension, but it's bugging the hell out of me. But I wanted to actually take a deeper look at Mazda's business because uh, it seems like they may be lagging behind some of their competitors. Anyway, today is... Um, in St. Louis STL give day, um, where the general purpose is to give to a local charity to help them, uh, continue their services, whatever they provide. Um, I, I've given a hundred dollars to a, a charity, uh, from which we adopted both of our dogs. They do some great work and, and actually just had, uh, one of their dogs that they rescued from, a shelter in Rolla, Missouri, die on them this week that had been really severely abused. It was a just a genuinely terrible story that I'm not trying to drag everyone down with, uh, but I want to make the point that um, it, it's even though it's just STL Give Day, uh, it can be <laughs> always Drive Podcast Listener Give Day. Uh, whenever you hear this, uh, basically. Just recognize that there are services out there that really perform functions that you don't think about every day, even though I do think about my dogs every day. Um, and and they always need help. So even if you've, you're saving up for something for your car, maybe a new intake, maybe some new wheels, or just saving up for your monthly car payment, go out and try to do something nice this week for an organization that's doing something nice for other people. As automotive enthusiasts, uh, we always try to make our community look better because there are always members of the community making it look bad, um, you know, peeling out their Mustangs from cars and coffee. So uh, to go do something nice for other people and uh, get out there in your community and try to make it a better place because uh, if you do something, chances are that'll uh, continue on down the line and people will just continue paying it forward. So get out there and do something nice, whether it's financial or uh, donating your time. Uh, it really matters to a lot of these organizations, these nonprofits, uh, just to, to know that people are out there supporting their cause and doing things to help them help others. So uh, thank you for listening this week. I'm sorry again for missing last week. I'll try to provide more notice uh, whenever I don't think I'm going to be able to get around to a podcast. Um, thank you also to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. This week, um, Jalopnik uh, posted a video of the CLK GTR, which was a Mercedes uh, Le Mans prototype vehicle, and it... The road-going version of this it just sounds so filthy. Uh, it puts a smile on my face every time I hear it. And uh, after a really long week, I think we all need a smile put on our face. So here, friends, is your moment of zen. <laughs>